Notice we have one question on the screen this morning, so take note of this one really important. So if there's one question, you know it's important. I'll scoot out of the way if you, if you need it, need to. Well, we've come to a pivotal, pivotal moment this morning in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We started last week, and we've, we came to see in this final week of Jesus how Jesus goes from super popular with everybody that's there to being betrayed and put on a cross ultimately. Betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas. Judas was, as we saw, was cooperating with Satan as his, his sinful desires were being fulfilled and cooperating with the chief priest to scheme out a plan to arrest Jesus with as little attention as possible, hence why it happens in the middle of the night. And Jesus was, as Jesus was planning out with his disciples the preparation for the Passover meal, which is where we're going to be going this morning, is when Judas was planning Jesus' betrayal. I'm very grateful this morning that in God's good providence, we not only get to hear and unpack the, the, the Passover of Jesus and the inauguration of the Lord's Supper that night, but this morning we will, as his church, also in remembrance, as he has commanded us, as he did that night, to observe the same supper that they observed that night. So what goodness of God that we get to hear the inauguration, the institution of the Lord's Supper this morning at the same Sunday that we providentially have the Lord's Supper. So let's look at Luke 22 and let's start reading in verse 7. Then the day of the unleavened bread, which was on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, for we may eat it, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepared, prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with them. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat, of, eat it until the fulfilling fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after, after the, uh, likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And this is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. There is so much significance in this passage. There is so much meaning in this passage. We, we won't even come close to getting to its depths and its width. It's almost immeasurable. That reading this text is, is almost like we have come onto holy ground. This is almost to the pinnacle of the Gospels because of what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is fulfilling of the Old Testament, and what he is instituting and inaugurating in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And yet, you might recall that the disciples are virtually clueless to all that is happening and what's all going down around them. To them, this is just another Passover meal. We, they've had two others with Jesus before. This, they've had hundreds before that and thousands before that. This is just another Passover meal. And Judas knows what he's going to do. He's already set that play in motion. He's going to betray Jesus when to him the plan is right. And yet none of the disciples, and I think including Judas, no matter how many times Jesus told them what was going to happen, that he was going to die, they still had no clue. And some of them didn't have a clue until days after the resurrection that they fully began to understand. But not for us. Not, not for us. 2,000 years later, reading the Word of God, and if you are in Christ, then we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit so that when we read these things, the Spirit of God helps us to understand these things because the Holy Spirit of God wants us to believe in Christ. And so He's working in us to believe and to understand. And so when we look at these things, we, we know what they represent. And so we look on these events with not in confusion or, or mystery or with a veil over our eyes, but we look at them with joy and with, with hope. Because joy is the overflow of thanksgiving and, and adoration and exaltation that is expressed toward God, Jesus Christ, because of what he has done on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. I find it amazing, I find it amazing and, and, and somewhat astonishing that, that after 2,000 years later, in 2019, that we, the people of God, can come together and share in the same supper that Jesus instituted that night before he died on the cross. And ever since then, Christians for thousands of years 
have been gathering in little groups like ours and celebrating the Lord's Supper. Speaking different languages, coming from completely different cultures, different times in history, wearing different clothes from different nations, nations that don't even exist anymore. And yet we, part of the body of Christ, get to share in the same supper as they. To God be the glory. The Lord's Supper is what signifies outwardly who is the church. Who is the church and who is not. It's the church that symbolically tastes the gospel when we take the Lord's Supper. It's the body of Christ and the unleavened bread and the blood of Jesus shed on the cross as the wine, and we taste it. We taste the gospel. We ingest it as a small, insignificant meal, and yet it satisfies our souls because of what it represents. Because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is our declaration of dependence upon the work of Christ and none of our own. It is our declaration of dependence upon his work of our redemption. And this morning is the holy ground of where we begin. So before we get to the upper room, let's see how they get there. How everything kind of comes together, this, uh, comes together for this uh, anticipated event. Now, now Luke tells us exactly what's going down this day. This is the day that the, the festival of unleavened bread and Passover, they're, they're here. And these are two events that, that happen almost simultaneously together. We can talk more about that later if you have questions about that. We don't have much time. But they happen somewhat together. They, they tie in together. Now, Jesus, he looks at Peter and John, and he says, go to town and find a place for us to observe the Passover. They couldn't just go and rent the honey bow and building like we do, right? They needed a place to go. Now, this is a very interesting thing. Because the obvious question that the two disciples ask is the obvious question. They say, Jesus, where? Where? Where are we going to eat this meal? Almost like some of us trying to decide where we're going to go out to eat sometimes. Where? Where are we going to go? Passover was one of the biggest holidays out of the whole year for the city of Jerusalem. And at this time, there's upwards to over 200,000 people uh, uh, coming, pilgriming to the city during this, these festivals. Chatham County and Savannah and the surrounding area, right, of Savannah, is about 290,000 people. So imagine all of Chatham County amassing in one place at one time. And we're like, they're already there. They're already in Savannah, right? No, they're coming to your town, 
When, when I go to, uh, to together for the gospel in Louisville, it's about 10,000 people that, that, that gather. And it's, it's, it's quite a bit, but 10,000 is nothing compared to 200,000. And when we get into that city of Louisville, like it's a, it's a decent-sized city. I mean, we pack those places out. There's no rooms to rent. The restaurants are totally full. The streets are congested. People who live there are honking their horns because there's this massive thousands of people crossing the street at, at one time. Imagine Jerusalem then with 200,000. And so Jesus' boys are like, uh, Jesus, man, there's like, you're kidding, right? Like talking about not preparing ahead. And what does Jesus do? He shows us what he always does. He shows us that God will provide. He shows God will provide. And he, and he gives us this, this almost crazy detailed story in verses 10 through 12. These, these unbelievable details about this, how they're miraculously going to meet on a road, a dude carrying water, which by the way, dudes don't carry water in the first century. Dudes carry wineskins. They don't carry the pots on their heads. That's, that's for the women. Women carry the pots. And so they were going to find this guy. And just so happened, this guy is going to lead them to this other guy's house. And this guy's going to have a, a room completely prepared just for them. God was providing for them in every last detail. The room was all set up and all arranged. And verse 13 tells us that exactly what Jesus said would happen is what happened. Now here's the significance it's Thursday. The Passover meal is going to be that night, that later, that evening. This was the day of preparation. We prepare for the Passover. And what does Luke tell us in verse 7? Including the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Now, the text doesn't tell us who went and got the Passover lamb. I, I tend to believe that it actually was Peter and John who went to the temple that day to get the lamb. They went and they, they, they bought the lamb. And between 3 and 5 p.m., they were to show up at the temple that day with everybody else, with this massive line of people and four groups of, of priests standing there waiting to receive these lambs that, that would be sacrificed one after another. And the person who would bring the sacrifice, they were the ones who was to do the cutting, the sacrifice. And the priest would catch all the blood that came out of the, the throat of the lamb, and he would turn around and he would toss it upon the altar. One right after another. So catch the visual of this day. Thousands of lambs being slaughtered in the temple that afternoon. Flowing red by the flood of the blood of the Passover lambs. And they would leave after that lamb was slain, carrying it over their shoulders back to the home where the lamb would be roasted for the meal later that night. Now, two things about this beginning I want us to see as we move up to the upper room. The first thing is, again, how God has provided for them. God has provided for them to celebrate and to observe the Passover that night in a physical way. And that is very important, and that's very encouraging for us to see. But however, even greater, and I think this is what's being pointed at here, is that how God was preparing the real Passover lamb for them. 
God was preparing the Passover lamb for them. The last lamb that would ever need to be slaughtered was being prepared this evening. How was he doing it? By God's sovereign plan and his will that is being carried out by the power of his hand. Despite Satan's work to make it as painful as possible for Jesus, how evil men have conspired to kill him, a close friend to betray him, and a nation that will eventually turn against him. We see underneath it all the sovereign hand of God that is at work. Brothers and sisters, God has prepared the lamb for his people. Hallelujah! He will be sacrificed. His blood will be spilt. And only through that spilled blood will any one of us ever be spared judgment, will be spared the angel of death, would be redeemed out of bondage to sin and delivered from darkness to light and for the forgiveness of our sins. Only through propitiation can there be adoption. And the lamb is being prepared. And so we get to the upper room. The Lord has provided. The Passover lamb is being prepared. The sacrifices have been made. Everyone's gathered around the table. And I want to show you three things this morning from the rest of our passage this morning. Number one, Jesus fulfills the Passover. Jesus fulfills the Passover. Second, He institutes the Lord's Supper. He institutes the Lord's Supper. And number three, he brings in the new covenant. He brings in the new covenant. So number one, he fulfills the Passover. Jesus fulfills the Passover. Why? Because he is the Passover lamb. He is the substitute. That on the cross that day in his body and in his blood that was shed that day completely satisfies the wrath of God. That's propitiation. Completely satisfies the wrath of God. Now, Luke's account of the meal shows us something in its language as if something is coming to an end, doesn't it? And we know that there are some endings coming. I mean, he says, I will not eat until this is fulfilled, or from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God. And and we know his life is ending, his earthly ministry is ending, but what else is ending? The Passover. This isn't Jesus' last Passover or, the la- or his last supper, but this is the last Passover. Because he is fulfilling it as the Passover lamb. 
the Passover meal, let's talk about the Passover for a few minutes, right? So the Passover meal was, was first eaten the night before the Exodus. So we read a little bit of that Exodus chapter 12 this morning. When God delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt. And that night, each family was told to, to, take a, to kill a pure and spotless lamb and take the blood and smear it around their doors, right? And, and then they roasted the lamb and they ate the lamb with unleavened bread and some other things that are, in, that are described in the meal. And with the, door, with the door smeared over with the blood of the pure and spotless lamb, the tenth plague, the tenth plague passed over their homes. And as we read in Exodus, those who were not covered by the blood of the lamb were killed. Those of the firstborn, I mean, the firstborn were killed. All of Egypt, including the, the livestock, including Pharaoh's own home, was affected. And in this significant event of God delivering his people, the Exodus... It's the most significant event for Jews in the Old Testament. This is the most significant event for them as it was God's people delivering them out of the bondage of slavery. It was the defining act of salvation and deliverance under the Old Covenant. And the Passover meal was, was the way in to commemorate that, to Remember that. In fact, Moses says to memorialize it. Memorialize this meal and keep it every year. Remember it throughout your generation. So as every generation comes, teach them, show them, shepherd them into observing what God has done this day. So year after year, for thousands of years leading up, to this night where Jesus and his boys were up in the upper room celebrating the last Passover. It was an act of remembrance of how God had delivered them in the past and how God would deliver them very soon again. It was God who delivered them through sacrifice. The sacrifice of a, of a Passover lamb through the shedding of, of innocent blood, through a substitute in their place. And the, the Passover, every Passover meal is pointing to that, how God had delivered them through innocent blood, through a sacrifice. And it was to show them they wanted to needed to remember this because Israel needed to remember every year, if not almost every day, that they could not deliver themselves. That sin would need to be atoned for. And that deliverance and atonement could only come through sacrifice. Now, moving back to the upper room. In Luke's account, we hear Jesus telling them some amazing words. Verse 15 says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover before you. I earnestly desired to eat this Passover before I sh should suffer, before I suffer. What was Jesus looking forward to in this evening? Jesus was looking forward 
to having this last Passover with his guys, this meal with them. He had been anticipating it. And, and not just in the days leading up as the whole town had been anticipating the, of, of, of Passover coming and all the people gathering and just the hubbub that just kind of makes us anticipate certain days. But Jesus knowing that the fullness of time has come, that once was concealed, once was far off and distant, what all salvation was leading up to, what the Passover had been pointing to was now at hand. And that the Passover lamb would sit before them and eat with them. What was all waited for, what all was anticipated for in the Old Testament was now coming to hand. He says in verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat, I will not eat it until the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. This is one of the cups of the Passover. And when he said he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes out. There's a, a lot going on in these texts, but let me just simplify it up for us. I think he is saying here that this isn't just his last Passover meal, but this is the last Passover. Because the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming, like tomorrow, guys. It's coming. It's going to be fulfilled in my suffering, in my sacrifice. The kingdom of God is coming. It's here. You see, Jesus understood very well his mission. He knew he was born to die. And he knew sitting down at this meal, this was it, his last meal, that it was close. He knew he was going to suffer. It says it. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew the pain would be excruciating, that he would be beaten and he would be put to shame and humiliated as he would be hung on the cross of a criminal and yet Jesus anticipated the meal. And I think this anticipation started from ages past. I think it started right there in the garden. Because as he was looking forward to the cross, the apex of history where God where God and when God put on display the greatest picture of his holiness as he poured out his just wrath upon his son. And yet simultaneously, we see going on the love of God magnified in the sacrifice of his son for sinners, for enemies, to save and to redeem and to deliver sinners from sin to, and death. And Jesus was about to stand. He was about to stand in as the true Passover lamb who would be sacrificed for the sins of his people. But brothers and sisters, not on Thursday. His blood would flow and satisfy the wrath of God on Friday. And on that day, that work is completed. 
The wrath of God being satisfied. The Lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world will be accomplished on the cross, O John the Baptist. As Paul said, the Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. They celebrated that night, the last Passover, because the once and for all perfect spotless Lamb is about to go to the altar. Jesus fulfills the Passover. And number two, he institutes the Lord's Supper. He institutes the Lord's Supper. So when the Passover ends, the Passover meal ends, there's, there's almost, you can see it in the text. He institutes the Lord's Supper. You look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Wait, what? What do you mean, this bread is your body? I don't see this part in the Passover meal handbook, Jesus. This has never been done before in a Passover meal. In 1,400 years since the Passover, this has never been done. What's Jesus doing? He's doing something new. He's enacting something more, something greater. And he tells his apostles to do this in remembrance of me. Now that sounds a lot like what Moses told Israel to do that night, to remember and to keep it. Except Moses did not say, do this in remembrance of me. He said, keep the Passover as a memorial feast to the Lord. The Passover was a memorial day of God's deliverance from Egypt through the sacrifice. But as we know in, in, in the Old Testament that there were more Egypts that came. There were more enemies of, of Israel that would come down the road and would defeat them and enslave them. And yet, even with the judges and even with the kings, they never could defeat the greater the greatest of all of Egypt's sin. Sin would still need to be defeated. And God's people would still need to be delivered and brought out of the bondage of sin, out of the slavery of this greater Egypt called sin. But the Passover said, remember, remember how God delivered you here. Remember what God did for you here. And Jesus is saying, now see what God is doing now. We don't memorialize just an event. It's not an event that we are memorializing. Jesus says, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. Because he 
is the only Passover lamb that was perfect and spotless and sufficient enough. The Son of God, whose body would be given over and whose blood would be shed. And he says, remember me. Not just an event. You remember me. And he says, do this. Do what? This new act, this new thing that I am leading you in. Do this in remembrance of me. He's not saying, or, or he's not telling us to celebrate the Passover meal. That's why we don't do the Passover meal. We don't look back to that to be our deliverance, but we look to the Christ who delivered us on the cross. That's why this new meal is so important. We don't celebrate the Passover meal. It's not what we do. It's been fulfilled. Now, I've, I've been a part of a Seder meal before, a Passover meal that was kind of done and acted so that we could see its, its neat experiences and, and symbols and taste all the things that really don't taste that good, in my opinion, but they're there anyways, and, and they're good, and, and it, they're really helpful. But Jesus doesn't say, keep the Passover. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so he gives us the Lord's Supper, and he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. He broke the, the bread, and he gave it to them, and he said, he said, this is my body. This is my body, which is given to you, given for you. Now, did Jesus mean here that magically his body has become the bread and, and magically the bread has become his body in some new mystical union that wasn't decided on until the 14th century? No. It couldn't be. His body's right there. His body's literally right in front of you. So there's no mystical union taking place. There's no magic. He's standing right here. The flesh is right there in front of him. But the bread is representative of his body. So what does this mean? Well, like how the Passover lamb, like how the Passover lamb, which was sacrificed for their deliverance, and which, by the way, in the disciples' mouths, they still could taste its flavors. Jesus says, this is my body. And I will be delivered over and sacrificed for your sins. That is given for you. All other sacrifices were pointing to him. Hebrews 9, verse 11. He says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater a more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of what? His own, his own blood. His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood, if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with their ashes of heifers sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more 
Will the blood of the Christ, of Christ, who is through the eternal spirit, offer himself without blemish to God? Purify our conscience from dead works and to the living God and to serve the living God. In Jesus Christ and in him, in his body, was, sac- was the sacrifice that they've been waiting for. I read this earlier this week. I thought this was so helpful. Pointing back to Isaiah 53, verse 4 says, Surely he has bore our griefs. This is my body. And carried our sorrows. This is my body. Yet we esteemed him stricken. This is my body. Smitten by God and afflicted. This is my body. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This was my body. He was crushed for our iniquities. This was my body, or this is my body. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This is my body. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is my body. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned to his own, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is my body. The body of Christ given for you as a sacrifice, as a substitute, so that we would be delivered from sin and death, and so that we would be forgiven of our sins, that we would have peace with God and be healed. We would be brought new and brought home and near. We'd be drawn into a new family, a family of, of, of God. We'd be brought into the body of Christ. This is my body. Verse 20, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. And just as the, the blood of the slaughtered lamb was poured out for the protection on the night of the Passover from the angel of death the firstborn were protected so now on the cross the blood of Jesus covers his people and shelters his people from the awful and fearful consequences of their sin Revelation 7 14-15 tells us that God's judgment doesn't fall on those who have been washed. Have been washed and made white. By what? By the blood of the Lamb. And in this single cup, in this single cup represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for our atonement. And so Jesus instituting for us the Lord's Supper, which is Basic, basic elements. Basic elements as a gift for his people. A gift to remember him. That we would remember him over and over and over. Let me ask you a few questions. If, if, if we stop celebrating the Lord's Supper, would that have any effect in your life? 
but it have any effect in your life? What would you forget? I think the things that are already so easily to forget, the gospel. What would happen to the church? This isn't just a ritual we practice on the last Sunday of every month. It's not something we practice just because we've been commanded. But it was instituted by Jesus that night so that we would remember him. It is a grace given to us for the church. Lastly, Jesus inaugurates the new covenant. Jesus is bringing in the new covenant. The Lord's Supper represents what Jesus has done, the disciples is going to do on the cross. Kelly, will you go with him? Someone probably just came to the wrong side. So, the Lord's Supper represents what Jesus has done on the cross and how it begins the new covenant with a new people. In, in the Old Testament, there was several covenants, but the, the, the main covenant that God had with his people was the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant was inaugurated with blood. It was brought in with the shedding of blood, with, with sacrifice. And, and now, in, in this new covenant that Jesus is saying is going to be for a new people in a new community, and it also is being inaugurated by what? His blood. The word covenant is mostly understood as a contract. I think that's what we mostly think about when we think of the word covenant. But it's so much more than it. It actually has more to do with relationship than contract. Right? I have a contract with a bank to pay my mortgage, and it puts me in some kind of relationship with them. But I am in a covenant with my wife, and that has me in a deep relationship. And I don't say that my relationship with my bank is the same with my wife. How terrible would that be, huh? And a covenant is a bond and relationship. It's a commitment. And the old covenant was agreed upon at Mount Sinai where, where God promised. God said, Israel, I will be your God if you will be my people. If you will be my people. And they said, yes, we will be your people. And they made their sacrifices that day. And yet Israel, about 20 minutes later, broke the covenant. And they persistently broke the covenant over and over and over. But now the, the new covenant has started. And in this new covenant has been inaugurated and sealed not by the blood of a sheep or a bull or a goat or a pure and spotless lamb, but by the blood of the Son of God himself. 
And that's very important to make that distinction. In this covenant, Jesus represents both God and man. He is both parties of the covenant. The new covenant is not us saying, God, we will be your people. Jesus is saying, I will be God and I will be the faithful people. The new covenant is eternal and secure because it doesn't rest on you. It doesn't rest on me, but it rests on Jesus who faithfully, faithfully and in his perfect righteousness fulfilled the old covenant. And in him brings the new. It's God making a contract and relationship with himself to be our Savior. And he signed that contract, he sealed that contract, and he delivered that contract through the blood of his Son. The Passover was pointing to it, the Lord's Supper represented, and the gospel proclaims it. We are brought into this new covenant, brothers and sisters, not by circumcision. We are brought into this covenant not by the blood of our sacrifices or by our obedience to the law. We are not brought into this covenant by any works of man. That's old covenant. We're not brought into this new covenant by taking of the Lord's Supper or even being baptized. That's Old covenant works. Even if we take these and we distort them into works as being, that's where our salvation is, then that's old covenant works. But in the new covenant, Jesus is saying, since I'm the one who secured it, since I am God, and since I am perfectly fulfilled the contract, then we enter by grace. And we enter by grace through faith brought in and covered by the blood of the Lamb that was shed that day on the cross through the person and works of Jesus Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the new covenant we remember. A covenant of, of grace. A covenant of mercy and love and the wrath of God that was poured out on His Son. And the love of God to give such a sacrifice that could bring final and secure atonement for sinners. The new covenant is a covenant of grace. That not only promises a, that we will be his people who will know God by his grace. But we will be a people who are renewed by his grace. And this is where the old covenant was insufficient. Where the old covenant could not, could not transform and, and bring about regeneration in the heart. It didn't make us new. But in the new covenant, we are given new hearts and renewed minds. Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us of this. And he's, he's pointing all the way back to Jeremiah 31. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. No longer on tablets, but in our 
hearts and in our minds. And I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And why? Because the perfect, spotless lamb was sacrificed once and for all, accomplishing the satisfaction of the wrath of God, his holy wrath of God towards sin, enabling us now to come by grace and to come by faith and say, it's not by any works of me, oh God. It's not by my works of that I can do any of my goodness, any amount of faith that I can produce, any amount of times I show up to church, but only through the blood of Christ can I enter in. And his Holy Spirit gives us new life to believe. By the way, be thankful they have covered these up this morning. This is the new covenant of his blood. Now, this is amazing. I gave a sneak peek to this on Wednesday. But after the Passover meal, the original Passover meal, right? And, and Egypt was led out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. And after the giving of the, the Ten Commandments, and they had some, there was some drama that took place between there and there. You, you can look at it. After, after that, Moses, Aaron, and, and 70 of the elders of the people, they went up to the mountain. And they went up on the mountain. And in Exodus 24, verse 11, it says, Behold God, or beheld God, right, comma, and they ate and they drank. With God. With God. They ate and they drank with God in the presence of God. So in a sense, we see God delivering through a meal to have a meal with him. But it was only the leaders who went up. It was only Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders. The people stayed down on the bottom of the mountain. Terrified, still terrified of the, the presence of God, the holiness of God. Why? Because the presence of God is dangerous. He's holy, and we are sinful. And this reminds us that we cannot eat with God until we have been atoned for. However, remember back Verse 15. Remember back to verse 15 where it says, Jesus was eager for this meal. He was eager with this meal for this meal for his disciples to eat with his disciples. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and ate with them. What man could never do eat with God. That evening, Jesus eagerly ate with man, sinful man, betraying man, denying man. He ate eagerly. And in the new covenant, because of the blood of Christ, brothers and sisters, we will eat with Jesus. No longer in fear, no longer in terror for the wrath of God for our sins because it's been covered, it's been done. But we come 
and peace because of the blood of Christ. The new covenant is here. There is peace with God. His spirit dwells within us. He has given us new hearts and, and new minds, and he eats with us together. As the body of Christ, he is with us. And he eagerly awaits and enjoys in the remembrance of him with us. How awesome is that? Don't, don't, don't turn around from that. Don't dismiss this as just the ritual that I've always seen and done since I was four. Let that be blown away by what Jesus is doing in this text here, what he has instituted for us thousands of years ago, that his people have been enacting every, almost all the time that they gathered together so that we would remember him. The blood in his body that was poured out on our behalf. Don't dismiss this morning. Don't dismiss these things in the gathering with the church. We're going to do things differently this morning. You've already seen that there's only one question on the board screen. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask our, our covenant reader to come right up as soon as after I pray. Just come up and read. And we're going to move right into the Lord's Supper. And we've only had one question. What do you remember this morning taking the Lord's Supper? What do you remember in taking the Lord's Supper this morning? In light of all these things that we've heard, all these things that we've, we've seen this morning in the text, how does your heart answer that question what do you remember jesus fulfilled the passover he instituted for a new people the lord's supper inaugurating and bringing in the new covenant in his blood and what 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 we might think is impossible but that every day we are in danger of forgetting what we do this morning. Every day we are in danger of forgetting the gospel. We may think that's impossible, but we do it. And yet the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, it reorients us, doesn't it? I have to, I have to do that with my children sometimes. I mean, physically. And I don't mean like in a, a whooping kind of way. That's certainly there, but... I mean, there's a lot of times where you're like, go to the bathroom, and they're headed toward candy, right? Or they're headed toward the TV, or they're headed toward, you know, the dog, or the, uh, the boy's room, or something. And you're like, nope, bathroom, or nope, go to your room. And you need to kind of grab their head and turn them this way, or their shoulders and turn them this way. And that's what the Lord's Supper does. It reorients it, reorients our hearts. And how it reorients our lives and our hearts is that it, it just kind of brings us back to the real old story, doesn't it? It brings us to the, the, real, the real old story that Jesus told that night. And, and instead of defining ourselves by what 
culture and, and all the narratives that are being pressed in around us to believe in who we should be as a people and who you should be as a person and what you should believe in Christ. We take this meal because we live as participants in God's story in what he is doing and in what he has done. This supper, this meal, points to the goal. Eating in the presence of God of a celebration of his generosity and his love, his grace, his mercy for salvation now and for all eternity. And as Jesus did, we should anticipate the Lord's Supper each time we take it. Celebrating together as his church when we take part of the Lord's Supper. In fact, every meal should be a reminder and a pointing forward to a greater meal that we enjoy in Christ and with Christ. This ordinance is a simple means of grace. Little pieces of unleavened bread, a cup of juice, all prepared for us by loving hands. But yet, it means so much more. It's his grace to his church to remember over and over and over again to his glory and for our joy. So let's pray together. We will hear our covenant and respond to our covenant, and then we will receive the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful you have given us this morning to see this passage, to see the glory of Christ and how he, the last Passover lamb, the final lamb, the, the only one that is needed, has satisfied your wrath toward us, towards sinners, so that now we may live in the new covenant that was fulfilled in Christ by the blood of Christ. Lord, we remember him. And, oh God, now is our, our response time is simply going to be taking the Lord's Supper. May our response, the response of our, of, our, of our hearts be directed toward you in deep delight and worship and joy and satisfaction and exaltation of Jesus Christ and him alone. May we see the, the unity of the body of Christ that has been brought together to enjoy this simple meal, but yet points us to such deeper things. We are not satisfied by bread alone, but every word that is proceeded from the mouth of God. Be with us now as we respond. In Christ's name, amen.